Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jared Bumpers, Assistant Professor of Preaching and Evangelism here at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Sam Beerig to the podcast. Sam is a Vice President of Undergraduate Studies at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He serves as Assistant Professor of Christian Studies and Dean of Spurgeon College as well. He's written several books, including Fulfill Your Student Ministry and No Neutral Words. He's previously served in the local church as a student pastor and as an elder. Dr. Beerig, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Yeah, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Uh, one slight correction. You just as much wrote Fulfill Your Student Ministry as I did. Well, so. I had a, a small part in that, but you headed up that project, and so need to give credit where credit is due. You know, most people, when they give me some pushback on it, it's on your chapters. Is that? Well, that doesn't surprise me. Just <laughs> do the best with what you've got. There it is. Well, I'm glad to, glad to have you on the podcast. Sam's a, a dear friend and so excited about this conversation. Uh, this interview actually flows out of uh, your dissertation on Proverbs, Sam, but it also flows out of personal conversations that you and I have had about preaching Proverbs, challenges of preaching Proverbs, best ways to preach Proverbs. And so I'm excited about taking this conversation live. And so I'm going to start with, with a simple question. Why should preachers committed to expository preaching choose to preach through the book of Proverbs? Uh, I appreciate the question, and for everyone listening, it's important to know that Jared himself is actually still remains just slightly unconvinced <laughs> of, of my position, but but largely there. So y'all are y'all are in good company. Um, yeah. So why why preach it? You're right. It is a simple first question. Um, obviously, the first position would be this is in the Bible, so we need to be mm-hmm. preaching it. Um, it may be that you never got to it, but that that would be the only reason, you know, not to. It's just like, hey, we're we're committed to preaching anything in the Bible, everything in the Bible, and so this is the whole counsel of God, and so we wanna we wanna preach through the book of, of Proverbs, uh, just as you would Psalms or Genesis or John or any of it. So that would be my my basic answer back to that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You know, the New Testament says that all Scripture is inspired and all yeah. Scripture is profitable. And so when we think about that passage, we often talk about inspiration and we say all the Bible is inspired. But if that's true and it is, then the extension and the, the following phrase, it's all profitable applies yeah. as well. So all the Bible is profitable. Yeah. Proverbs is a profitable book. And so your people will benefit by preaching through the book of Proverbs. Yeah. Now, when people preach through Proverbs, they often do so thematically. Yeah. And so what are, what are some of the major themes in the book of Proverbs that, that preachers tend to gravitate towards? when they yeah. preach the book of Proverbs. Yeah, so they tend to gravitate, um, as, as you're mentioning, and even the, the crowd should know, lots of back conversations on this. They're going to gravitate towards things like speech or money, relationships, marriage, even time usage, these sorts of things. And those all are accurate. They're, those are true. Some of that bothered me, and that's why we're in this conversation. of just like, why, why is it that we tend to just cut up the book pretty heavily and then locate it according to whatever the topic of that particular proverb is, but missing, kind of cutting it off from, from its own compositional structure in many ways. And so it's true, there are a number of main themes that still pop to the top. I don't actually think that those are really the ones, actually. that It tends to be uh, some that I'd point out would be like life versus death, or fear of man versus fear of God, or fear of the Lord, wisdom versus foolishness. So those smaller topics of speech, money, those sorts of things actually converge up into those larger topics, which all can come together into one. what I'll argue is just one particular 
overarching theme, which is the two ways uh, or what I've tried to call the two ways motif. That's how it works. Let me give you an analogy, what I try to uh, quickly get people's mind in, especially in in North America. So the Mississippi River, most uh, anyone who knows anything, right, uh, is going to know what the Mississippi River is. Proverbs works much like that. And and I would say that the the two ways motif is that main vein that runs um, from north to south. But apart from that, you have much other larger bodies that are moving towards it as well. River, you could think of the Arkansas or Missouri, Ohio, something like that. But then, of course, they have their own little veins that are, that are feeding into them. And so what we have tended to do is find a small, a singular proverb, and we've dislocated that from the, the larger vein, right? And not recognize that it actually does connect over and some of those larger bodies that isn't the Mississippi itself, again, maybe the Missouri or the Arkansas or something like that, could be life versus death or uh, the fear of the Lord versus fear of man, something like that. But they all really do appear to us in this one singular idea, this picture that's put before us by, by God through actually multiple editors and these sorts of things. But Solomon primarily, there's always two ways available to us at life, every decision, every penny, uh, that you spend, every word that comes out of your mouth, every thought that goes through your mind, you're, you're choosing a way, you're choosing a path, and you're investing in one or the other. So that's my general idea on themes and how they work. What guys, as we've already said, are, are generally doing is they're taking the theme of speech and they're just pulling from all over chapter 10 on to 29, and they're just pulling everything that they see, and then they do a topical sermon on that theme which I would even say is probably not even theme, but rather a topic. And we don't do that really anywhere else in the Bible. So that's sort of why we're in the conversation. But, yeah. yeah. And I think even what you've just said for a lot of our listeners will be revolutionary yeah. because that's how they've thought about yeah. Proverbs is here's this topic, here's this theme, speech, money, time management, you know, relationships, friendships, whatever that theme is. And they'll, you know, collect their, their verses on that. They'll preach a sermon on that. And yeah. so what you're saying to them is is revolutionary yeah. in multiple ways. One, you're we're getting ready to talk about okay, well how do we preach it? Is yeah. that the best way to preach it? I think that will be somewhat revolutionary. But then you're saying not only I'm not sure that's the best way to do this, but also these aren't even the major the major right. themes. That's right. So, you've already talked a little bit about the two ways, yeah. you know, motif, but go yeah. ahead and flesh that out for yeah. us. Why do you think that's the driving theme? And then how, how does that affect the way that you understand some of those smaller themes? Yeah. So there's a couple pretty key pieces here where this comes through. Even in chapter 1, verse 7, where it talks about you, you want to—the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In nine ten, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But it's almost the exact same replication, but one is knowledge, one is wisdom. And there's this idea of you're parting ways with a fool at this point. You're either going to fear the Lord— and that's going to send you off into wise paths, managing your money well, managing relationships well, managing your mouth well, to the glory of God and, the, and to the fear of God that you would present yourself as, to import New Testament ideas as a living sacrifice. This is what Proverbs is going to contribute to us is how to live as living sacrifices. The alternative is always available and shown in Proverbs almost at all points. So one seven has that. Uh, the beginning of, of wisdom is to fear the Lord. Fools reject that, right? And so it always shows you this other side, often set off with words like fools versus wise or blameless versus wicked or something like this. And, and they're, they're not exactly synonymous, but wickedness is almost always 
put alongside of foolishness. Wisdom is put alongside righteousness. And they're not synonymous, but they're often just, here's your uh, good word here for you, but they're collocating around each other, right? Mm -hmm. And they're mutually informing each other. As far as like after 1-7, the reader of Proverbs 1 through 9 is going to notice over and over again, listen, son, or hear, son. And there's going to be a subject that's brought up. I'm careful not to say topic, right? Mm -hmm. But a subject that's brought up, and there's an alternative to that. So it, it could be an adulterous woman in, in chapter 7, but chapter 8 is coming, and, and the choices between the adulterous woman and Lady Wisdom, right, in chapter 8, most people kind of look at those as independent, but they're actually coming right in sequence, right? And then chapter 9 is going to give you two different options. You, you can feast with Lady Folly or feast with Lady Wisdom. One has a glorious feast that is well-prepared, righteously prepared, is going to benefit you, and the end of her path is life, or you can choose Lady Folly, who's boisterous, she's loud, she's stolen the food, and it's like there's signals that like this isn't going to go very well. And, and her banquet is in the grave ultimately, right? And so you launch off after chapter 9 into 10, and the immediate first proverb, chapter 10, verses 1, is a wise son is going to be pleasing to his father. He's going to bring benefit to his father, but a foolish son is going to be horrible on his mom, right? I'm not able to quote it off the top of my mind, but that, those are the two alternatives, and it says mom and dad like what the result is for wisdom versus not. And basically, from that point on till you get to the end of 16, almost every single time, there's two different options being observed, two different things that you can choose between. And sometimes that is on that topical level. You're talking about speech, but it really is more importantly saying there's really two paths here. With your mouth, are you going to pursue a path of righteousness and wisdom or death and foolishness? And so the bigger issue is almost always that you're choosing a path and every decision, there's nothing neutral here. You're, you're going to be pursuing and investing in one or the other life. It's signaled by, in, in English, anyone, even if, you don't, if you're not strong in Hebrew, anyone can see this. There's a comma and then a but, and then it's going to be an alternative. So it's maybe calling you to meditate on something, maybe driving you to think about choosing between this or that, but it's always going to be showing up as two different options. In Hebrew, it's a, it, it's a disjunctive vav, but it's pressing you between two different decisions. You can get on into the rest of the book, and that largely continues between two different options, but sometimes it's just developing one path or the other. This is, have you ever seen this before? This foolishness, right? So one, one example could be a, a singular side proverb would be a woman without discretion is like a pig with a gold ring in its snout. So there's, he's not actually referencing the wise path. He's just saying, hey, have you ever noticed this before? And if you put that in construct to the whole book, you recognize, okay, this woman is actually a path for me. So this is speaking to fathers and saying, hey, protect your sons or mothers, protect your sons from this kind of a woman, this kind of path. It's saying to ladies, don't be this woman. It's saying maybe to wives and, and challenging them and saying, hey, have you been acting like this, right? But in the concept of the whole book and the composition itself, it's more than just talking about, well, you don't want to be this kind of woman, right? Yep. It's actually a path that is being chosen or pursued. So you kind of see that all the way through the book. You get to chapter 30 and 31, and it continues on there. I, I think Minority Report, uh, big time, on 31 is it's not first about a local church. Um, some have allegorized throughout history that, that that's what it's referencing or that it's uh, just specifically about, a, you know, a wife who is doing well for her family and her husband, those sorts of things. I don't think that it doesn't have anything to say to those. I think it, it does. But I think that she is the favorable outcome for the man or woman who chooses the wise path. So That's, the embodiment of yes. the wise person yep. who walks the wise yep. path consistently. This, 
This is the Solomonic son looking back on a life of which wisdom has protected and cared for him all the way along. So it's not a perfect life, but it's, it's used with really rich language to show if you will choose this path, the wise path, then, then this is what you can expect, that the Lord will care for you and take care of you. So that's how I would say very quickly that the whole book kind of works together with the two ways motif. Yeah, I think that's helpful for our listeners who are familiar with the topical approach. Because essentially what you're saying is that that two ways motif is at the top level yep. and those are subcategories. And so when you preach, that needs to be, you need to have that framework in your yep. mind. It's similar to uh, the parable of the prodigal son in, yep. in yep. Luke. Okay, exactly. If we're preaching a sermon on repentance from the parable of the prodigal son, it's not that repentance isn't a legitimate response to your sin. It's just that that's not the primary thrust of right. that particular passage. That's right. Yep. And so the same thing applies to Proverbs. Let's make sure that we're identifying and hitting that, that primary yep. theme. Yep. Uh, I know that, and this question here could go a lot of ways sure. for you, there are certain theological convictions that shape yep. your, your reading of oh, Proverbs. Yeah. And so I'm happy for you to, to lay out— As it should shape all of ours. As it should shape all of us have theological convictions, <laughs> sure. and those convictions yeah. should shape the way that we yeah. interpret the Bible. So I'd love to hear you, yeah. you know, maybe share a couple of those theological convictions that, yeah. that shape how you read Proverbs, and then other places that this two-ways motif— shows up in scripture. So theological oh, yeah. convictions. And if you want, you don't have to do this, sure. but if you want, you can do a little biblical theology of yeah, the two ways no. motif. Oh, you're enticing me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the like insanely fast story was I wrote a, I myself couldn't really quite figure out how to manage the difficulty of just, you're just coming at me with proverb after proverb. And I was tasked years and years ago with writing a, a Bible study for my local church through it. I was a youth pastor at the time and oversaw education. And I, I was like, I think I'm just going to stop at chapter nine, which is where most people go because they can't make sense of it after that. But I also noticed even in one through nine, I was like, dude, all the faithful evangelical commentators, there's all over the place about how to manage this book in general. Like what's Where's the starting line? Where's the finish line? They just didn't. It was, it was all over the place. And, and those were just the surface go you know go to the the bookstore and go get your your top 6 commentaries they were just all over the place i couldn't make sense out of what they were doing and so i recognized okay we got we got a problem on our hands so that was where the impetus of that came from and just pushed me back onto my theological moorings of do we do this anywhere else in scripture like i mean your basic just good old faithful you know expositor will he accept this kind of line of thinking anywhere else, he won't. Even in Psalms would be the closest you could come up with. And in general, the, the run-of-the-mill pastor preacher knows, hey, I should probably start with one, and two comes after one for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. And Gerald Wilson, not Jared Wilson, mm-hmm. Gerald Wilson, among others, have, have proven, man, there's a shape here. It's, it's an obvious shape. There's books to it, all of these things, and it does matter. The, the sequence of Psalms matters. And so, my doctrine of scripture, the general, like, no, not just the content, but even the form of how he's delivered to us Ephesians matters, or John matters, or Psalms matters. Why not Proverbs, right? So doctrine of scripture was a big deal for me. And then just doctrine of God as well, of like, if he's not a God of kind of chaos, uh, and I'm not trying to foist that on preachers who have done, I'm not saying they're pursuing chaos. I'm just saying, no, it just doesn't seem to jive with what I understand about God, the way he's given us and delivered us the scriptures. And so I just wasn't quite willing to accept it. So I, I basically just took on 
a years long process of just I'm just going to hammer this book and see if I can crack the code, if if you will, of like, why is it that we're so quick to just jump ship on what we wouldn't do anywhere else? And then why is it that it's so hard? Why can't we figure it out? And that was over time, it was piece by piece, but just over time, the the two ways motif became really clear. And once I kind of grabbed a hold of that and saw a couple different things, other stuff started opening up. Translations are an issue here, right? So we tend to translate the very earthy direction language, Derek or Halak, like walking way, even straight, Yasar, like that this is a straight path, that that's a visual earthy view. It's translated morally in your CSB, your ESV, that sort of thing. And it's going to take on like an ethereal, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the second move of the meaning of it versus get this image in your mind and understand your life works like that. So that, that came pretty clear to me after just hammering the book a number of times. I've told some of our sad, like, PhD students, they're just like, I'm just, I'm just struggling through it. I'm like, listen, I was reading Proverbs backwards to try to figure out, just to shake up my mind mm-hmm. to figure out how do I, like, what is going on here? And, and the Lord was gracious and kind in that to make some understanding and a semblance of it. What, let me give you another metaphor to maybe make sense of it, and then I'll do a quick biblical theology uh, very, very fast. Another image that was helpful to me is how navigators on the ocean would, would used to look at your North Star, your, your Polaris, to actually be like, if I can locate that thing, then I can get home from here. And that's how the two ways motif really works. So any proverb that you're in, if you keep your eye on that, you know how to get home and you don't topicalize this. But if you don't see that, then it seems like it's, this is just about marriage or this is just about and it becomes a topical deal. And so that'd be another metaphor. The whole Bible, I think, does confirm it. I think it's at the fore, and it seems to be what Solomon has received from reading the Torah over and over again. He's also reading his father's Psalms. So if you look at Psalms, it shows up over and over and over again as well. Derek or way path ideas are going to show up a good bit, and it's going to talk about it in righteous and almost disciple kind of language of like, if you fear the Lord, then this is the kind of path that you're going to choose. And so. I think that's where he's getting it largely from. Some places that people wouldn't maybe immediately see this. So you have Adam and Eve, they're pre-fall, walking in the cool of the day, they're walking with the Lord, right? So that's the imagery, that's the language that, that is given, that they are walking with the Lord. You have the fall, you have Cain and Abel pretty quickly thereafter. Jude confirms this, but there's this sense of Cain has his own way right? He's going on a foolish path and it, it does not turn out well for him. How do you explain Noah and Enoch? There's actually one very specific phrase that sets them off from their generation and it's that they walked with God, right? So they look more like the pre-fall Adam than they do Cain even in that moment. So they're, they're choosing a path that is, is to try to walk with the Lord versus the generations that they're set off against. All of the patriarchs, there's actually, they're confirmed each time uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're referenced one or two times each in Genesis as being ones who walked with the Lord, right? I believe Joseph is as well at one point, if if my memory serves me. You could go into Exodus. The whole picture there is is really, it's not the only thing going on. That's not my claim. But there's this, there's an imagery that's being conveyed forward to, to Solomon as to how do you lead, how do you read the Torah? In part, it's this discipleship idea of, of two paths that are always available to you. And so he's looking at the Exodus and realizing there's a juncture point where Israel's got to make a decision. Are they going to follow the Lord and Moses or, or not? And you have this path idea of how do you get out of Egypt? 
we could talk about a couple things in Leviticus, but I'll, I'll scoot forward to Deuteronomy where you have this pinnacle passage, chapter 17, about the king. What is he supposed to be like? And there's very specific language about he does not need to go back to the Derek, the way of Egypt, but he needs to pursue the Lord, right? He's not supposed to get all these horses. He's not supposed to gather to himself wives. And so 1 Kings 1 through 11 is confirming Solomon's own wickedness in this, of his own inconsistency, that he is not Christ. He's not the one that's going to actually get us out. It's because he's constantly not doing what he himself has set up the book of Proverbs as a manual of sorts to Mm. show these Solomonic sons not to do this. And so, yeah, I mean, you spring forward all the way into Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I think he's confirming that, and that's an echo at least. What do the new Christians in Acts, they're rummaging around in the Old Testament to try to figure out, like, we're not the the Jewish peoples are not with the Pharisees. We're also not Rome. So, so like, how do we separate ourselves and what do they call the way, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the ones who follow the way. And so these are just a few of the places. How, I mean, last one I'll give you is Paul seems to talk about you need to walk in uh, Galatians 5, 100 other places, but you need to walk in a way of righteousness. And then he goes, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, so on and so forth. So that's a, a quick reference there that, that I think confirms Proverbs. But. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And even you, when you think about the Old Testament, Kings Chronicles, the kings are evaluated yes. yep. based on That's great. whether they follow the Lord or whether yep. they, they don't, the good kings, they don't turn to the right That's or right. To the left. They, yep. walk, they walk in the way of the yep. Lord. Yep. And then, of course, my mind goes to Jesus, mm-hmm. who's, who's greater than Solomon. Yep. At the end of his Sermon on the Mount, yep. you have two gates, you yep. have two trees, you have two builders. And so the, this kind of diverging paths for his listeners to, to take. So, yeah. uh, that, Can I give you one more? That's great. Yes, please do. So... This is like the deep exegesis, uh, you know, we're, we're drowning in it in a good way. I think when Mark, whenever he is between the two criminals um, mm. and he's walked this straight path all the way up, he never diverges to the right or to the left. And there's this image at the very end of like, no, he, sh- he stayed this straight path all the way through. So is that the main point that we're drawing out of the cross? And is that the meaning of a- atonement? Uh, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying, I do think the Bible is that rich. I think it is that thick that you can see things even on that fathoms deep level where you're going, man, even this moment, this image, uh, God has designed all of Scripture and delivered in such a way that we recognize he's the one to follow. Like, and it, it could never be Josiah. It could never be Solomon. But he's the one who, who never diverged to the right or to the left. Yeah, that's great. I'm actually getting ready to preach in chapel, and I'm preaching uh, from Luke 9. Okay. And Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem. Because yep. while he's on the way, yep. this person yes. comes and says, I'm going to follow you. So yep. the discipleship language yep. comes in there. Yep. And, of course, three times there, three yep. different prospective disciples right. come wanting to follow Jesus on the way, and he lets them know the cost of discipleship. Yep. And so, yeah, I think that theme is not just prominent in Proverbs. Right. It reverberates throughout right. the rest of Scripture. Well, thank you so much for joining us today yep. to talk about uh, Proverbs and how to preach Proverbs and identifying the, the major theme forward to having you on in the future to talk about the practical aspects of preaching from Proverbs. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.